All right, welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, this mustached phenom, beautiful man, Alex Friedman, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado. Today, we're going to be talking about connecting with your athletes and trying to work with them and kind of relate to them as a human, not just as an athlete, because we know sometimes we focus so much on the performance goals that sometimes we forget that there's a human underneath all of it. And and that could lead to a, a disdain potentially or a strain in your relationship. So I apologize in advance. I'm going to lean heavy into my master's degree, which is in uh, the sociology and psychology of coaching. Um, so I just, I don't know specifically what I'm going to reference, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot of references to that type of material um, as we get into this. But I mean, as a coach and like, I don't know, you learn this, through hopefully through your first internship or your first practical experience, like the exercise science, the anatomy, physiology, X's and O's, like that stuff matters a lot as you're a coach. It matters very little when you're on the floor, right? As far as communicating it, as far as um, actually getting the most out of your athlete. If you don't know how to hold a conversation, if you don't know how to create a relationship and have genuine rapport with your, your athlete in front of you, then I think you're program is going to suffer for it, but more or less your, your coaching and um, the overall environment is going to suffer for it too. Yeah. And I know like in, in, on the healthcare side of things too, like if you don't get to know the person you're working with, you don't get to know who they are and what drives them. You're not going to be able to get after the same goals. You're not going to be able to help them along their way. So like in, in healthcare, you're thinking about like a functional scales, like can't, this person has a right shoulder pain and they can't put away their dishes for whatever reason. They love putting away the dishes. If you never ask the question about what they like to do and what it's getting in the way of what's the biggest hindrance of the injury, then you're not connecting with the athlete. You could use whatever, how, how hard can you lift your arm up? But if you don't make the connection to something that they love to do, you're never going to have a, as good of a functional scale to track. You're never going to have that relationship with the person like, Oh, I really care that you get back to what you love. Not just, Oh, I really care that they can, you can lift your arm up again. It's, it's not about the actual physical application of lifting the arm up. It's what's the hindrance of the connection to what they love that's getting in the way. Yeah. And I think that that hits the root of it, like serving people, not either serving yourself or not serving a, a textbook. Right. I think that's where it comes down to, like, we like to nerd out on all of the strength conditioning, all of the exercise physiology stuff that there is, but that in reality probably matters very little to the person that's in front of you or the person that you're, you're working with. And I think um, giving them abilities, having a great, relationship having fun when you work out heaven forbid like that is some of the best drivers of you know performance and some of the best drivers of improvement that you're going to see in a rehabilitation setting or in the weight room um and it just goes back to the, the whole scope of of training a person not an athlete like we're not there for a transactional relationship where i'm going to get physical output out of you and you're going to get um exercise expertise out of me like it's going to be a free flowing relationship and we're going to work on this whole person, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever you need that day. And then we're going to create a, a long lasting bond and benefit you holistically from that. And I think that's one of the biggest shifts that we can make is a, an acceptance of the holistic style of care versus a, a transactional or like a physically physical only model that, um, 
I know especially a lot of collegiate athletes feel is in place. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I felt like when I was in a, in my collegiate athlete career, athletic career is like, you know, they, they want my physical output and, and sure they'll, they'll say and, and pretend to do what's right. But at the end of the day, it's like, if you can't perform, then you're not really worth a whole lot to us. Right. And, and that can easily be transmitted up into the pros, right? Because what are you working like a pro team? Think about like football, a pro team can yeah. cut you if they don't like you at yeah. any point in time. They don't, they, they literally aren't getting, they don't care. Yeah. So <laughs> your literal job, right? You're getting paid for that. Or think about the UFC to bring it to combat sports. If the UFC does not want you on roster. They are not obligated to fulfill that. So it's one of those things like they, it, they don't care about you as a person. So it kind of does like almost like a trickle down effect. Yeah. yeah I don't know where you're going to go with that one. I don't know. I don't know, but uh, I don't know. I mean, at the same time, like you are there to get a job done and there is like um, a work to be done. But I think if you have the right relationship and you've established the right type of training atmosphere, right. That, I mean, that works the prerequisite. And then like in the racial relationships going to drive that or just drive a, a more desire to want to get that work done. Right. And then <laughs> something I, w- I do want to talk about is I feel as though just because I've been around people that did this, like on the coaching side of things, you feel you feel like you need to be that hard ass coach. You, you feel like you need to have almost like a separation to keep it more professional. And while that's great in theory. A lot of people take it to the extreme where you almost put on like you have a different tone when you're coaching, <laughs> like mm-hmm. people, your, your entire demeanor changes. You're no longer Alex in general. You're Alex, the coach. Yeah. And that's not genuine. People, yeah. people pick that up real quick. Like when you see a dude that's like clenching his butt cheeks when he's talking or like he's high yeah. and proper, like, you know, that's a fucking facade. Yeah. Like one of, one of my buddies that I used to grow up with. Uh, and I wrestled with, he listens to Sally and Arena. Uh, he was a state champ from Bartlett in Illinois, but he, he used to put on the best facade when he was a kid and all of the parents thought this dude was the nicest kid and he's just a savage, <laughs> but it, it's, that's, it's, it's the same thing. Like the, the people that know you well can pick up on it really quick. Sometimes yeah. no matter what facade you had, it's, it's always going to come out and it's not worth the time to try to put on that, those coaching pants when guess what, for the most part, if you want your business to be successful, you should make an environment that reflects how you want to train people and how you want to interact with people. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, like fakeness has never, um, has never been a, a long-term meaningful like road. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think a lot of coaches get caught up in that because there's such a, a stigma about, you know, you got to be hard on the athletes. You have to have all everything together. Like you're the coach. You're not allowed to mess up or, or you're not allowed to be loose and, and funny. But I think the more loose and the more funny approaches that I've seen coach take has a lot more meaningful impact on the athletes. And like, that's a situation where you get to get to know your athletes, they relax a little bit, and then they can focus even more on the training and they're less motivated by getting yelled at or less motivated by having to get the correct sets and reps done. Um, and that's, here we go, uh, into my graduate degree, what we talked about a lot is, (laughs) With coaches that are so by the books and X's and O's and like it, it takes a militaristic like approach, right? It's like march to my beat, do this, organize this way, uh, do this exact sets and reps or else you're letting me down. Um, and it just creates robots that can fulfill orders, right? You can you can do the sets and reps, you can do this or that, or you can execute this double leg or like on command. But 
what we need are critically thinking athletes, you know, athletes that can make their own decisions like that, that can flow and have a bit of the, the art and the mastery to their performance. So there's that, that disconnect between like the militaristic, like March to my order. And then the, the performance that demands a lot of autonomy. So I think that's a, a lot of the split in coaching that needs to start to happen is that we need to recognize what's a better way to eliminate myself from the equation like that 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 is my ultimate goal uh with long-term athletes i'm working with is like how can i eliminate myself and they still get the same benefit excuse me even though i'm not there yeah and (laughs) something to bring it into the combat sports world is like think about all the top of every division like you got henry sudo who he's not there right now but like (laughs) i mean He's one of those guys that he can, all of the stuff he does are adjustments in the fight. He's a critical thinker. Devison Figueredo, that sit through guillotine that he hit on um, uh, Perez when he, when he subbed him in his first title defense. That's not something he trained. That's not something he practiced. He's a critical thinker. John Jones is Israel Desanya. Khabib, even for as one dimensional as he is, he's a critical thinker. He had to deal on the fly with Justin Gaethje's calf kicks and automatically adjust based off that and went after jujitsu instead of trying to ground and pound, which he knew he was going to win, but walk down the list. I don't want to make somebody that has for me, that has to yell blue 98, 72 jab, jab, cross in the corner, something like that. I want somebody to know that. And they're critically thinking they're seeing what's happening in the fight. And then all I need to do in between in between rounds or in between the sets are just little, little spices of big picture ideas to make them a better fighter at that time. And then they can do whatever they want with it. I shouldn't have to give them the, every single step of the way I should give them the goal or one big picture idea, and they can do whatever they choose to get there. Right. And then what you say in those small tidbits or what that goes into that has to do with the fighter themselves. Like there's again, different athletes respond differently to different coaching styles, right? It's like one athlete I'm going to talk about, um, maybe I'm going to talk about how the whole day is going, how the movement's feeling or like how, how a whole fight felt and they're going to be able to globalize that and then create a strategy down trickle, right. Where another Mm -hmm. athlete's going to need me to ask specific, uh, scenario question. Like how did it feel when he, when he was doing that in the grappling mat or like, how's it feel when he's hitting you with that? Like, what do you need to do to change that one hit because it's been happening over and over again. Right. So that's when you getting to know your athletes and and knowing them interpersonally and how they communicate, because again, you get a small time to interact with the athletes and like, and knowing how to get the most information across in a meaningful way. Like that's just communication. One-on-one you have to know the person to accomplish that. And nobody, very few people communicate the exact same in every situation. Right. And that's, and we could bring that into healthcare too. And that's, and bring it all the way to queuing. You got to also something that's awesome to know about your athlete is you have to know how they learn best and how they receive information best. If I know like, and, and you can do just quick, most athletes know, like if they're a higher level athlete, they'll know which way they learn, which way works best to them. If it has to be kinesthetic, if it has to be visual, if it's auditory, all these different things. Um, but for me, I'm a very tactile learner. Anytime that I can get up and kinesthetically do something, or if somebody like put hands on me, I respond really, really well. As far as cueing goes, that's not going to work well with somebody that doesn't like being touched. Like Alex, I'm most likely going to tell him a cue versus trying to put my hands on him and force him where he wants to be because Alex doesn't like getting touched. 
<laughs> well, I don't like getting touched by you. Maybe is the the biggest yeah. thing. Either way, he doesn't like getting touched. <laughs> but for somebody that's a very visual learner, I'm going to show them what's going on. If there's somebody that's an auditory learner, I can give them cues as they go or in between different reps. If they're kinesthetic, I'm most likely going to put my hands on, force them to brace into me, give them manual feedback. Um, if they're, you need to activate the glute, pushing in on the knee, loading up my loading up the big toe or lifting up the arch of the foot, all these different things that I can put my hands on and make an actual lasting difference. And all of this comes from having a simple conversation or over a prolonged period of time, learning your athlete's tendencies. And the only way to learn those tendencies is to actually give a fuck about your athlete. Exactly, dude. And I think about it right now in my current position, I'm, I have this one freshman in high school and I love training him. He's a good kid. And in the first three, four weeks when I was coaching him and I, I'm coaching him in small groups or whatever, regardless of what I was explaining to do, regardless of he, he's done a front squat seven times in the last week, right? I'm going to tell, I'm going to say, these are sets of reps on the front squat. This is the intensity that I want, blah, blah, blah. And then we're going to say, all right, ready to go. He's like, um, can you show me the front squat? Right. And it's like, and is and not picking on him, but it's like every time he needs that visual kind of reminder that visual cue and then and then now that i get to know him a little better i know if it's a if it's a movement that he's uncomfortable with i need to get on the floor and demonstrate or or show what's going on and i think a lot of athletes work that way visually a lot of athletes that i've experienced work that way kinesthetically um i mean very few athletes are going to work like like austin was saying um through auditory senses like mm-hmm. I, I feel as though especially grappling and striking it's not going to be um, like put your right hand here and then lace your left leg there. Like uh, uh, that. <laughs> you don't uh, know what people do. Maybe they're listening like grappling audiobooks. Sure. Man. Close, closing I mean, their eyes and trying to do things. I mean, whatever gets, gets you going, I guess. Um, <laughs> but no, it's like, and then like customizing that approach to your athlete, I think is, is huge. And like creating again, that environment and then building off of that as a coach is, is spectacular as well. Like how can I, I challenge the athlete and guide them, um, into problem, into solving their own problems and not, not just saying like your footwork was off there or like change your hand grip or change your hand position. Like it's like, what would have made that move flow better or like, and like you get some creative responses and that's, that's money right there. I think we talked about it way back when on this podcast, like in, in Bloom's taxonomy of learning, like memorization and regurgitation are the bottom level. Like that's, that's like basic stuff. And, and I think we spend too much time there. We need to spend time critically thinking, creating, analyzing, and um, adding our own approach to two things. Right. You can get good at memorizing, but you're never going to get great at just memorizing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's the second time you're a little off today, huh, bud? I know I had an, I had an idea and I just completely spaced. Blanked on it. Yeah. It was a really good one too. Well, I mean, it, was, it was gearing up to be the best one I had. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not very hard. You're setting the bar pretty low. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> um, but it's back to me now. Uh, one thing that I, I like to do, and I think that we need to get over as a coaching, as a healthcare, whatever it may be, is wanting to actually learn about your athlete outside of just the training facility outside of the clinic, outside of whatever. And what I mean by that is actually giving a fucking trying like, Hey, do you want to go grab lunch? Hey, do you want to grab coffee? Like it's a little bit different if like the doctor patient relationship 
for the most part, but if you're invested in your athlete's life and if you're seeing them, like, like for me, if I do performance care, I'm seeing some of my athletes three times a week, like in the clinic on top of me also coaching wrestling for them. So I'm seeing them five days a week. If I notice that they're trending down or if they're having their last couple of workouts were, were exhausting or in general, a general change in their mood, I'm going to go grab like coffee with them. I'm not just going to talk to them in the clinic when they're in a high stress situation. I want to go create a low stress situation and figure out what's going on with the athlete, figure out what they want to do, how they want to go about these different things and trying to pick up what's wrong, but also we can use it as a goal setting experience, pick up what they want to get out of your relationship and figure out what they want to do with their own career. So like you shouldn't be afraid to actually talk with your athletes outside of the confines of the gym, like actually care about them and go grab coffee, go grab dinner. Like that's one of the best things I've learned from Santino is he tries to take the, at least one guy out per week and just check in with them, see how they're feeling, see how they're moving, all these different things. And that's, I think that's a really good trend to bring over, not just as a skill coach, but as a strength coach or as a healthcare worker, if you're trying to build a relationship with an athlete. Absolutely, man. You never know how far that'll go. Like, uh, I mean, I think for a lot of us, we, we get wrapped up in our own world and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Like even the, just this week, I had a mentor who, you know, I don't know, we, we check in on each other every once in a while, but he just shot me an email, said, Hey, how's everything doing? And we did went back and forth a little bit. And then he like, just cut off one email and he's like, no, really, how are you? Are you happy with the situation? What's going on? Like yeah. he just needed to get to that point blank answer. And it's like, well, all right. He actually did want to talk to me. He wasn't just saving face. He, he was actually invested. And I think that that goes a, a long way as far as, you know, genuinely getting in front of people, genuinely, you know, demonstrating that, that you're invested and that you care um, in their growth, w- whether it even has to be productive, just in their well-being in general. I think that that gets overlooked a lot of times because like, yes, we're in in a weight room. Yes. We're in a a practice facility where we need to make progress and step forward every time. But like when I'm talking to somebody one-on-one it's the, every single conversation doesn't have to lead to a a productive end, right? It's not like Mm -hmm. you're going to solve this person's life problems by having a conversation with them or it's it's like, maybe you need need to listen or you just need to be there as a human being. I think um, that touch is like, is irreplaceable. That's why I got into coaching. That's why Austin got into healthcare is like, how can we better help people? And sometimes taking off the clinician hat, taking off the coach hat, taking off all those different hats that we wear and just being a person and connecting with somebody as a human. I think that's sometimes the most impactful hat that, that you can wear. Yeah. Nobody, uh, I, I try to think <laughs> about it, like nobody ever is going to be worse off for having you care about them. <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody's ever going to be worse off for having another person ever care about them. People are always better when more people care and actually genuinely care, not just fame, not just fortune and all these different things, yeah. like actually give a fuck about you. You're never worse off. That always is going to be good, whether yeah. it's direct, directly beneficial, or if it just made their day that one day, yeah. it doesn't matter, but it's always going to be a beneficial thing. And it's just one of those things that we all in general, athletes, coaches, healthcare, whatever need to go towards <laughs> having a partnership and not just having a coach athlete relationship. Cause as soon as we make a partnership, that's when shit goes from good to great. That's how the, that's how the goods become great is because they have somebody to help them along their journey. No, I think that's, yeah, I think that's put really succinct and, and something I always, I always like to get into in my athletes and like, 
I, I get that it's a it's an uncomfortable topic or, or sometimes it gets a little derailed, but I always talk about talk with my athletes and and have genuine conversations around like mental health, especially nowadays with COVID and everything happening. Like there's so much rapid change in the world. Like I like to, you know, check in, yes, and see, hey, how are you doing? But like also let them be aware that it's all right to have it off day, to be mentally, you know, not there once in a while. And um just again, help them be aware of that type of health as well, because, you know, like at the end of the day uh, with the populations that you're working on, it's like, if you're not feeling well, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, then like the physically isn't going to be there. That's just, it's not like you can replace one with the other. We can isolate the body and chop it in those succinct parts, um, checking in with people on their mental health. And then, um, especially with, with high schoolers and with a lot of college athletes that I work with, I always bring up gratitude and gratefulness. I think those are huge. That's a hugely powerful, um, topic to talk about, especially with that age group that brings awareness, but also, um, allows them to reflect specifically on the situation that they find themselves in and, you know, it, it puts things in perspective. For them, I mean, that's a huge grounding thing for myself personally, but I always looked to share that with the athletes because I think that can carry a lot of weight as far as am I checking in with myself today? Am I truly ready to go for this training session or like, or would I be better suited to do something else? Or is today a day to get after it? I think um, all that stems from a, a, a general self-awareness and self-efficacy um, and taking control of your own training. Yeah. And I want to bring it back to something just because I, I had, I had a thought about working with different athletes. Something I've noticed just as like a coaching tip or a coaching thought, I guess, is that people coming from a traditional sports background. So the, my, my combat athletes that come from D one wrestling or D two wrestling, whatever it may be, um, or come from like the football realm, whatever it may, whatever, whatever sport, just in organized fashion, those people are always going to be your, at least in my experience, they're going to be the ones that have a lot harder time not having a good practice mm -hmm. as opposed to when I work with my jujitsu athletes, or if I work with people that didn't grow up doing wrestling or a regular organized sport, they're a little bit more okay. They, I, I don't know if it's a martial arts mentality or what it may be, but they're a little bit more okay being like, oh, like today wasn't my day. That's fine. I'll get them tomorrow because I don't. And I think a reason for that is because they've never had to like lose their spot. Yeah. <laughs> they never had to worry about making the team. They've always been, how can I become a, a more of a master at my craft? Yeah. And that's exactly what I want. like two thoughts that come up in my head. As soon as you say that is like, is the, the mastery oriented atmosphere versus a win at all costs atmosphere. I think mm -hmm. in, in organized sports specifically like high school, college and professional too, um, you get into this win at all costs. And we've talked about that, like competitive, like have to win every drill type of mentality. And that again is disastrous. And that is, uh, wreaks havoc on your mental well-being, right? And it actually limits progress in a lot of settings where you, if you think you have to win every day or get better every day of whereas the mastery oriented approach allows you to make failures and allows you to make mistakes because you can come back and get better at it next time. Like failure is the best teacher, right? That's where you, you can get better next time and you're okay with it. And you, you understand that the aim is not to win this go and practice. The aim is to develop a mastery of this craft. And I think that allows for a little more leeway in the psyche and, and definitely a lot less, um, a lot less pressure that we put on ourselves. 
Um, and the second thing that I think about when you say uh, a competitive and sports oriented approach versus a, a more free flowing or more open-ended approach is something that I forgot right now. Well, no, that's perfect because, so I, I was lucky enough recently. So, so who knows back, he's been trying, he's been coming to the gym, coaching a little bit. And I was lucky enough that I got to sit in there and talk to him about some in the sauna and talk to him about like some of his thoughts on competition and on, mm-hmm. on this ty- type of topic. Um, and it, and it was cool because he brings in that level it, it, for somebody as successful as Henry gold medal, two UFC titles, he wasn't trying to win every go. He's the perfect example of he, he said it outright. He's like, one of my sparring days is technique. Like I'm doing technique in a live round. I don't care if I win. I care that I'm landing what I want to land and to make sure that all the drills that I was doing in the beginning of the week were there to help me in my live goes. It's like, I could get my ass kicked five, five rounds in a row. It's not going to happen, but I, I could. But as long as I was landing that combo that I was practicing all week, that's all that matters. And it's the same thing with his technique sessions. It's the same thing with his live goes and wrestling practices, all these different things. The only day that mattered was his fine, his live sparring day every week. That was the only day that he wanted to win every go. And then obviously the actual fight, everything else, he just wants to get better. And it doesn't matter if the person in front of him beats him or not. He matters about himself and his technical proficiency. And I thought that was a cool, a cool insight because this is the guy that's at the top, top of the world. And this is how he's training. And it's not just, it's not just the people at the bottom that don't know what they're talking about. This is what the cream of the crop are saying too. No. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a great philosophy and a great approach to um, having some longevity in your career, right? We talk about so much about athlete burnout and so much of injuries come from that. Like, um, and I'm sure you can talk to this too, but how much does the mental stress of competing and chronically having to be your best increase your likelihood for injury? How much does that that shorten? <laughs> the, yeah, how much does that shorten the lifespan of your career when you're just chronically fighting back against the wall? And like, and I get that there's a time and place for that, and at times you need that to to make it or to bust into the UFC or to um, accomplish that. But uh, you know, like, how much better could you be if you had some of these these safety reservoirs in place or some of these checks and balances that go along with your training, um, especially like mentally and uh or like have a good coach in your corner that says it's all right to pump the brakes right now or you need to check in with yourself before we get back to this training um i think that's hugely important um and it's a lot of where we're we're missing out in our original trainings because there's i mean there's such a high price on winning and such a high price on being the best or working the hardest and and grinding it out yeah and i (laughs) ironically enough, I just had a very similar talk today with one of my track athletes about this, who he's from Cyprus. So over in Cyprus, so the way the Olympics work for track is every country gets three representatives per qualified uh, event, right? Mm-hmm. Cyprus is a very small country. He's the only representative at his, at his respective country for his respective event. The USA, on the other hand, they have a bajillion athletes and all of their athletes are vying for these certain spots. So you have to have these different competitions to make a world team. So me and this guy were talking and he's like, yeah, like the guy that was supposed to be number, number two in the world, he qualified for the, my, when I was at the last Olympic games and, but his coach was pushing and pushing and pushing him to make the team. We weren't pushing him and pushing him, pushing him 
to win the Olympics because they, they didn't like, it was one of those things. Like there was like a, almost like they, they needed, they went too hard too early yeah and they weren't able to, they, it was just almost like overload. And that's right. There is where like, you got to know your athlete's goal. This athlete, it turned out that was his last cycle. He was, it, he didn't want to come in fourth and not make the Olympic team. He was okay. If he didn't win the gold, he just wanted to go out on the team. And that was something I guess they had talked about previously. And it, it turned out to be a good thing and it turned out to be okay. But I felt like that was a good full circle because like, you got to know your athlete's goal. If the athlete's goal went from being the number one in the goal in the world to making the Olympic team, and you're a good coach, you got to go with them on their goal. Yeah. yeah. And you adjust your plan based on that, but you adjust your approach as well. Like it's, and I mean, speaking to motivation as well, like that's, it's going to be a lot more impactful. The things that you say when you know, you have somebody in your corner versus, you know, you have somebody doing a job. Right. right. And I think that that goes hugely um, under any coaches repertoire is that they, they know the athlete's goal and they know what they're working towards. Um, and they've created the rapport to where they know how to get that get there the best. Um, and the athlete understands that and the athlete. And like you said, it's a partnership. It's not a one-way, one-sided um, conversation or uh, leaders lead and followers follow. There's a, a interplay where the athlete has the autonomy and has the wherewithal and the knowledge as to have some input into the training. Because, like, I mean – the athlete is going to be the best person that knows their readiness level and their um, ability to perform that day. Yeah. And there, and for the healthcare people, like everybody, all these healthcare, there's a current thing where you don't want to listen. Like you think, you know, more than the patient about their own body. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you that a finely tuned athletic machine, I can guarantee knows a lot about what's going on with their own body. That doesn't mean they know anything else about anybody else's body. They don't know the anatomy you do. They don't know all these different things. But when you're talking about them and what their body feels, I guarantee they're going to be the leading authority. So please let them say what they want to get off their chest before you just thinking that you know more than they do. Absolutely. And like, I don't know, I think that goes a lot into the honesty and the, like that's without um, without like wellness trackers and without readiness or, or preparedness, uh, measures, um, a, a lot of that subjective input from my athletes is how I temper, temper their training and how I know when to back off a little bit, give some recovery and when to, uh, take the, the foot off the gas, if you will, a little bit. I think those little interpersonal check-ins, um, go a long way for the athlete. And then like the one day that they say, you know, maybe we're not feeling that great or everybody's kind of burnt for that day. And then you as a coach act on that. Like how much more uh, validated are you, are you allowing them to be right? Like, yes, I, I understand that you're, you guys aren't feeling today or we pushed too hard last week or yesterday or whatever. And like, we, it's okay. And I'll, I'll accept your, um, your subjective input or your, your feeling, and then, and then we'll go with that. And I think that that carries a lot of weight because if you don't have that rapport and you don't know your athletes, and I, I've been in a lot of weight rooms like this, like, Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm ready to train coach. And it's like, are you really, are you just saying that? Because that's what <laughs> I expect and want you to say. Yeah. Right. I, I feel like that, that honesty factor and that, that truth in feedback um, is super powerful and very important um, to have both from a moderating training, but also from a, you know, a comfort in the training atmosphere and a, a genuine um, approach to getting better. It's like those athletes are like, I, I'm doing great. And they're like bl winking at you. Like, yeah. 
please notice that I actually don't feel good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And that, I mean, I mean, I think, I think that's, that's so hard to admit as an athlete too. Like we're forced from day one to just chronically be productive, you know, and, and we're, yeah. we're entrenched in this culture of like more is better work harder, outwork your opponent and do more, especially in wrestling in the combat sports world. It's like the more you train, the more you're getting ahead of competition and you're putting, you know, the extra, the extra yeah. work in. Um, your opponent is trained. Your opponent's training on Saturday. Why don't you train Saturday and Sunday and yeah. compete? You know, and it's it, it's like that's a, a fool's errand, and that's a again not good for your overall wellness. And I think we need to push back on that a little bit as a, as a coaching uh, community and as a, a genuine wellness approach. Is like let's train optimally when we're optimally prepared, and let's recover optimally when we're down for that as well. Like. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I'm taken aback at how many athletes I have, or I've experienced that get the, the whoop band or the, the polar heart rate stuff. And like, they check their, their wellness scores or their sleep scores. And it's like, it's telling me not to train today, but I can still go hard. Right. It's like, Dude. it's like, why did you invest in that in the first place? Like Dude, it's a $450. I just had this talk with one of my fighters, Ramon, yeah. I'm calling you out. <laughs> why did you buy a $450 polar watch? The, and then not listen to it. Why did you, why did you spend the money? Right. I mean, and like, it's just so entrenched in the culture. It's like, it's like, I don't want to get behind. So I'm, I still got to train hard today, even though, you know, my, my objective feedback tells me not to, or, or I feel like crap. Like, I mean, I don't know where we missed that, that page or where that that's gone <laughs> in, uh, in the sporting world that like, it's, it's better to be at a hundred percent more often than to chronically be at 70%. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand how that, I don't understand how, and, and that directly plays into my world where like, say you have a rib injury (laughs) and you try to push through it. They're like, you could literally just take two and a half, three weeks off and you can train at a hundred, 90%. 95% 95% for probably for the probably next month, next two months, and then be at hundred, or you can just keep practicing at 65. And then in three weeks, it's going to be at 60. And then in eight weeks, it's going to be at 50. And you're just going to keep getting hurt and hurt and hurt because you think you need to be at every single practice instead of doing what's smart for your body and actually realizing that this is an injury, please treat it as such. Don't just train through it. Yeah. So it's, again, that's where you as a coach, you have to know your, your, your athlete and have a a good enough relationship to where, you know, if you need to back off today and they're like, all right, I get that. And I'm going to actually back off versus like, you need to back off today. No coach, I'm good. I'm going to keep going. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's like have that understanding and have that conversation up front. It's like, if I, if I'm, or know your athlete and maybe some athletes are like, not only do I want to do one set coach and you're like, no, you, you can actually train today. You, you feel good. Right. right? Don't, don't be a bitch. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's knowing their personality. And like, again, I, I have another athlete, an example that's going to play high level division one football. And it's like, and he's in the middle of his hockey season right now. And he's already signed to play football and he's doing our football strength and conditioning on top of being in the middle of hockey season. And he's, you know, coming to our trainings at 6 PM at night, right after hockey practice is like, no, I think you'll be all right. Missing the accessory block. Like it's going to be yeah. okay. Go home, yeah. get something to eat. Right. And it's knowing that if I don't say anything like that, he's probably going to do four sets instead of two sets of the accessory, because yeah. that, that's just the drive that he has and the, the uh, ambition. And like, it's not, 
his fault and it's not a bad characteristic to have, but it needs to be tempered. And like, that's my role as a coach when I'm put in front of him versus my role as a coach when I'm put in front of the other kid that needs a video demonstration or a a visual demonstration, I'll give him the video demonstration. Like it's just the, the interplay and the customization that you make as a coach and that you, you learn to adapt based on who you have in front of you. Yeah. It, it goes down to what, what I always say. I feel like I've said it like 15 times in the podcast and I love saying it as a coach or as a healthcare, whatever it may be. I am your brakes. I need you to be all gas. Let me be your brakes. But then on my end, I need to know when I need to pull the brakes. <laughs> yeah. you, you can't say you're going to be the brakes, but then not know your athlete, not understand your athlete and not know what type of person are they a pusher or, or are they somebody that's going to push past or there's somebody that's going to complain the whole time. Are they chronically trying to get out of work? If you don't know who your athlete is and what type of person they are, how are you going to pull those brakes for them? Like you want to do and like you tell them you will. Yeah. I mean, straight up. Straight up. But you see, I, I almost swore right there and I didn't, I didn't because I'm like, Ooh, this could be the promo. <laughs> it's all about getting, getting your voice out there. Huh, Austin? Yeah. Isn't that what this is for? In a literal sense. Yes. It is putting your voice out there. <laughs> I know it's to help everybody. It's to help everybody across the world. And also get my voice out. Austin. So, so Austin can listen to himself, which is he's a psycho. And the only person in the world that likes to hear his own voice. I like my voice. It's I know good. you do. I know you do. It's a good See, tone. If I'm coaching Austin, I know that he's a narcissistic asshole, and I just have to kind of uh, curtail the bicep curls that he's going to do, make sure that he gets all this actual hey. work in. Hey, hey. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I've actually been on a uh, rear foot elevated squat kick. That's personally been my, I don't know. I just like the movement. It feels good when I do it. So I've been doing a lot of them. So nice. look out look out for these quads. 2020. <laughs> 2021 good job it's the year to re- reclaim my teardrops <laughs> uh, more ways than one right yeah exactly i'm gonna cry a lot that's what i'm getting at mm-hmm. oh, you have already cried a lot eh, only like five times how do you deal with it when athletes start crying on you in the weight room have you ever had athletes crying in the weight room i have yeah i mean typically i gotta make sure they're actually crying so i say <laughs> stop i say i vocally say stop being a bitch to make fun of them in front of everybody else and then if they are crying then i'll need to change tone that's that's beautiful that's yep that's the epitome <laughs> of the kind con- of, of what we want uh in this exactly episode. shit on your athletes at all points <laughs> no uh if I, I actually have had people cry on me in the weight room um i don't know i feel like healthcare like because we actually i mean you guys if you listen or know me in person, you know that I'm not naturally very empathetic. Um, but I actually had classes in school. So during Cairo school, you have six different classes based around learning how to empathize with patients and make them, I guess, even if you don't care, make them feel like you care and actually like hear them out. So I've done a good job. You got to make eye contact, you got to talk with them and ask them different questions, but also give them time to perceive what occurred. Yeah. The biggest thing for me is like, why are they crying? And then let them talk about that. And then for me personally, I just let them talk until they talk and talk and talk. That typically helps a whole bunch. And then if there's questions that you should ask, you ask them. But if not, a lot of people just want to get it off their chest. Like they want somebody to talk to. And lucky for me in, in healthcare, like I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of the times the person that people talk to. It's it's fun. That was deeper than you wanted, but that's, that's actually what I do. 
<laughs> oh, I think it's interesting. I mean, because I mean, at the end of the day, like you just have to be there for the person. Like, I mean, yeah. there's different right reasons everybody's going through what they're going through, and like, and I mean, and and that's I feel like a lot of the times where coaches get caught with like their hands behind their back and they're like very unprepared for that. Like, cause I don't know, I, I've been in a situation a couple of times this way where just like emotions or something overcome the athlete and they, they are getting frustrated or something else is, is kicking up on them. And it's, it's a hard place to be right. As a coach, it's like, right. you know, it's not um, what you're prepared for, but I think it's uh, that's like some of the biggest points that you can be there for your athlete or that you can provide them emotional support. And like you said, just listen or um, redirect or uh, offer support or um, like just contextualize too. Like there's so much pressure in the weight room to perform or even, even on the mat or even uh, in sports in general, like there's pressure, like we say to win every go to grind. And it's like, there's always that extra layer of like, man, I'm crying at the workout. I need to not be crying here because one, it's a public place and I, I feel awkward about that. And then I need to be doing my workout. I cry. I'm, I feel bad about not doing my workout and getting my work done. Whereas like, those are some of the first layers that I peel back. Like, like I genuinely, like if I, if I have an athlete kind of break down or, or start crying, like one of the first things I say is like, I don't give a shit about the workout right now. Like, I don't give a yep. shit what you're missing. I don't give a I shit about it every time. It's like, yeah. it's like, let's focus on you right now. What's What's going on. And like just removing that, that pressure, removing those layers, like, and I like to do that in general, like even, even when our athletes aren't crying or, or like take away some of that pressure, like for most athletes, like in the weight room, like, and I feel like if you're a good coach, you do this already, but like, I don't give a shit how much weight is on the bar. Like as long as we have the ambition to make progress and it's not a, a fake you out weight where I want to pretend to work hard or I, I want to go overzealous and be vain about it. Like, I don't care if you're benching 95 pounds, like that's perfect. Mm-hmm. If it says your physical limit, then that's great. Let's push it. Let's, let's work harder. Um, I don't see more value in the guy over in the corner bench in 315. Like mm-hmm. that's his limit and he's pushing his work. Like it's the same type of work that exists and it doesn't, doesn't slide on a scale based on ability. It slides on a scale based on, um, what you can do and how, I don't want to say how hard you're working, but how that's going to offer you, um, advantage in the long run. Right. And I would, I would almost postulate that if you're a coach and an athlete does say have an emotional outbreak or cry or whatever it may be, and you care more about them getting to their sets and reps and get caught with your pants down, as you said, yeah. versus just want to find out what is going wrong with the athlete. Yeah. I would say you need to spend more time with your athlete and get to know them, or maybe like that's when you fire patients. Like if you really, truly don't care that that athlete's crying and, and they're not just a chronic crier, they're not just like cry at everything. Yeah. Like you, you don't have that athlete's best interest in mind because you don't care about them as a, pa- yeah. as a patient or as an athlete. You only care about them actually only as an athlete, not as a human. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's a, that's a big issue. So that you, honestly, I would say use that as a measuring stick. Like that could be some, that could be a reality check. If that, yeah. if you could think that uh, if that athlete's in front of you crying and you don't know what to do and or even not, if you don't know what to do, if you just don't care and you want them to just continue with their workout and kind of ignore it, man, you gotta, you gotta kind of figure out if you want to continue to work with that athlete or not, or if, yeah. if that's even salvageable, salvageable. 
Yeah, you got to reprioritize because like, yeah, I don't know. I think, again, we get lost in our own work in our own worlds and then we start to ignore what's going on outside of the weight room. And like, that's where, like in my current role, and we, I've had discussions about this too, like in with high schoolers or with, you know, young athletes, like some of the best benefits for a few of the kids that we're going to do is growing in their confidence, growing in their, their emotional maturity and growing in their ownership and their character development. Like, and I hate to say like the, the old sportsman, like sports build character, like they only build character. If you as a coach push that and make it an integral part of your sessions, like that's what builds character, not the sport itself. It's the, the, the morals and the messages that you as a coach embed into the sport that you're coaching. So like these athletes that I'm working with, like some of them, some of them, yeah, are going to go on to play division one sports and going to have make a career out of sports like that's, and that's awesome. And like, those typically aren't the kids that I need to worry about working on their character, working on their morals. Like, but for some of the kids, like like a freshman in football, that's not really interested in football, but I can give him a lot of self-confidence and I can, I can enable him to take ownership of his own actions inside and outside of the weight room. Like Mm -hmm. that's powerful right there. And like, that's the biggest benefit that I'm going to, I'm going to be able to impart on some of these kids is, is the emotional maturity and, um, growth that accompanies the weight room because i think that that's a huge opportunity that everybody preaches about but few people practice right and i i love that you're talking about confidence i think confidence is something that the weight room can give you that is absolutely invaluable as a skill you can learn like yeah. a lot of every like you, you joke about it and people joke about it like i'm confidence to a fault at some points in time, um, I would be self self saying I'm cocky at some <laughs> points in time, but that also has gotten me so many things in life. That's, that's, that's given me the opportunity to work with some awesome athletes. It's given me the opportunity to be a part of motion palpation Institute as, as a really young quarter, be a part of these different things that allow me to grow. And I learned that in wrestling and in the weight room, like I was never a big lifter, but I was always very good technically. And that's what, that's how I teach a lot of my athletes. I need you to be technically proficient first. Mm-hmm. And it's because I know mobility work, technical proficiency. It doesn't have to be a whole bunch of weight, but I can show that shit to a T every single time. And that's given me confidence where I don't, I don't ever feel like I'm doing an exercise wrong. If I have to show my athlete first, if I have to do all these different things and then the same thing, like that always translates out, like it translates into like shit i can't i'm out i'm out kicking my coverage with yeah. my fiance like everybody knows that like it's it's one of those things that it gives like learning confidence no matter where you learn it but the strength the the gym is a great place for to learn it there that's an awesome that's an awesome carryover into the rest of your life that'll, that'll make yeah. a huge difference if you learn that skill and again to bring it full circle back to what we're talking about like alex said that's a part of your job as a good coach. You need to not just understand the athlete, understand their strengths, their weaknesses, how they can grow and how you can assist with that growing and try to make foster a relationship and foster a culture that helps them grow into the young men, into the adults, into the professional players that they want to be and strive for. Yeah, or even that they don't know that they want to be or they don't know have the aim. Like it could be a, a huge piece in giving them that direction or allowing them to find that direction for themselves. So uh, I totally agree with that. And I think, um, yeah, knowing your athlete, knowing where to push or where to pull 
within the confidence scale, within the self-efficacy is a, a huge, a huge area that can be improved upon in the weight room, especially um, working with athletes in a population combat sports that is not traditionally viewed as a, a weight room or a training sport, yep. right? So mm-hmm. um, we want to make the weight room an approachable place and somewhere that we see that we're getting better, not that, not somewhere where I know what the hell I'm doing and you're coming into my world. Right. right. Not, that's not the environment that that's going to create the, the best change or create even a confident athlete walking into it. And I mean, there's going to be some egos and MMA and some confidence that just flows over into the weight room. And that's great in, in its own right. But where is a coach? Do I need to moderate this, um, this training session or this effect or, um, create a different environment for the athletes that I have coming in? Yeah. I think that's a lot on thing. <laughs> Yeah, we, we ducked, dipped, ducked and dodged all around, but I think we, we talked about some important lessons as far as being a coach away from the anatomical X's and O's and, and game plan, stuff like that. So yeah, a lot more important to connect than to know the insertion of the Peroni's longest. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. It is. <laughs> uh, but as always, please share, like, subscribe, do all the fun stuff that allow us to talk to more people and let us become friends with your friends. If you got to contact us, our all of our contact information is in the show notes. You can touch on Instagram at our email or at our joint Instagram for building a fighter. Uh, be on the lookout for our website, which will be coming out soon. I think at this point, this is about a month behind, so it'll be coming out right around there. And be on the lookout for building a fighter phase one just started marketing this week talking about selling you guys and trying to convince you but also provide value towards getting a good month-long program and giving you a stable base to grow as a combat athlete as always it's building a fighter dr austin chain alex friedman and we are out